Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Tiffany Clark Harrison is the author of Blue Hour, a novel. Tiffany graduated from Salisbury University with a BA in English, creative writing concentration, and holds an MFA in creative writing, fiction, from Queens University of Charlotte. Tiffany lives with her husband and two children in North Carolina. Blue Hour is her debut novel. Welcome, Tiffany. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Blue Hour, a novel. Thank you so much for having me. I was just telling you because I couldn't even hold it in any longer how much I loved your book and how deeply emotional and powerful it was. Its slim size should not mislead the reader. It packs a huge punch. So um, anyway, really 
great moving job. It's just really a special read. Thank you so much. I'm really, I'm really proud of it. So yeah, it was hard to write for sure, but I am really happy with how everything turned out. So why don't we start with you telling the listener about what your book is about? And I have to say, I did not go Google you or anything like that. So if there's background that links <laughs> you to the book or that I should know, I apologize. But I did read the whole book. So, so you can give us some, uh, some context on your own life vis-a-vis the book, which I'm totally curious about now. So, Sure. Yeah. First, I'll just start with what the book is about. So... Blue Hour is a fragmentary novel, so it's told in these smaller um, kind of vignettes about, and the narrator is Black, a Black Japanese woman who is an accomplished photographer and a wife, and she's also dealing with infertility. And she's always had this kind of ambivalence about motherhood and what that would look like or could look like for her. And so when another act of police brutality happens. And this time the victim is one of her photography photography students, Noah. She tells her husband, who is white Jewish, that if this round of IVF that we're about to go through doesn't work, I don't think I want to try anymore. I don't want to bring another Black body. I don't want to bring a Black body into this. I don't want to bring a Black child into this. And he desperately wants to have children. And so clearly this, this creates a strain on the marriage. And, you know, she continues in her career. She's embarking on this documentary on motherhood where she's interviewing black and brown mothers of police brutality and also visiting, secretly visiting Noah in the hospital as he fights for his life, where when she realizes that she's impossibly pregnant. And so... This obviously turns things on it on its head for them again. And so they have to decide what their future is going to look like together. So yeah, that's what the book is about. Oh my gosh. It's also about just the resilience of getting through so much on every side. I feel like it's like a woman at the breaking point and yes. how she deals with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You've put her in this. I mean, it feels like almost like this position of like fear and desperation mixed, like of not knowing how to like get up and do the thing that needs to be done, you know, because things just keep happening to her and people she loves and cares about and the world, you know, all of it. She's very much someone who I loved writing her because she's someone who's so outspoken. Mm -hmm. She knows what she wants. And at the same time, there is still this little girl inside of her that is so terrified of, am I going to screw it up? Yeah. I'm going to totally F this up. And, you know, and that's not what I want to do. That's not who I want to be. And, you know, that's part of her ambivalence around motherhood too. Another part is just this identity piece. What does that mean for me? One, to be married. Um, there was a part in the book where she references a Carrie Weems painting and where the woman has like has tape across her mouth and she's in her wedding yes. gown and veil and everything. And she's like, isn't this what marriage is? Isn't this what motherhood is? Giving away a piece, all these pieces of myself to the point that what what would be left for me? And her finding her way through 
oh, I can cultivate, I can create this to look like whatever I want it to look like. My husband and I can make this be whatever we want it to be. But then also still recognize there is this outside piece. There is still the world. She's not just a mother. She would be a mother to a Black child. And there is that added layer. So yeah, she's she's grappling with quite a bit that, and she strongly feels like, I just don't want to mess this up. Everything is messed up enough already. I don't want to mess this up. So I think that's something a lot of, not just mothers, but women. Yeah, I was going to say, that is a very familiar (laughs) feeling. (laughs) Uh, Like everybody, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they don't admit it. I feel like that's very common, deep down feeling, right? We're all just afraid we're going to, like everything is so... So he's like about to fall. And so like, can we, I don't know. It's like, anyway, or, yeah. okay. this has become my therapy session with you. Now I'm going to cry. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yeah. Anyway. In terms of background that you asked for. So I started this book around 2015, somewhere around there. And um, I knew that I want like a uh, several friends at the time, my children were very small. I have two kids and dealing with, okay, who am I? with these two little kids and my kids are two years apart and also having friends who were experiencing miscarriage and uh, infertility and how they were feeling so much shame. And even I'm carrying shame around like, okay, I don't want to be with them 24 seven. I love my children. And even the fact that mothers feel like they have to say that piece, I don't get me wrong. I love my children. It's like, well, yeah. (laughs) And that you even have feel like you have to say that before you say, but I am my own person. And really it's not, but it's, and I am my own person. And I have these other things I want to accomplish and, and, and. And so part of it was just bringing those conversations to light because there, there was so much shame around talking about miscarriage. There was so much shame about not saying things that aren't the loveliest about motherhood. and. So, you know, that was part of it. And then I put the book down for a good little bit, about maybe a year or so. And then Michael Brown was killed. And I remember being on Facebook and seeing comments from people, and I couldn't tell you specifically what they were, and reading through them, looking at it like, are you kidding me right now? He was a human. Like, that's a human being that you're talking about. And I remember shortly after it was my son's fifth birthday. And I can distinctly remember, I can still see it in my head. He was blowing out the candles on his cake and I was looking at him and I said, one day people are going to look at that little boy and they're going to be saying that stuff they were saying on Facebook about Michael Brown. This kid right here, just blowing out the candles on his cake. That's what they're going to be saying. And that's when I knew this is a piece that's missing. This is a piece I want to incorporate. And then the story just bloomed from there. So, Wow. Well, you did it in such a beautiful way and such a moving way. I love even just the imagery of the photographs, how everything is like coming to light, literally. Like it's all just developing and like you're showing the reader, this is my, 
you know, like as the, I don't mean to be cheesy, but I feel like like the reader is getting the development of all of the story as the as the photos. Or I used to be a um, like the photo editor of my yearbook, and I took all these photography classes. So I loved the darkroom. I loved the chemicals and the smell and hanging them up and just the magic of watching an image come to be. Yeah. And you like that's so what it felt like with them, and also even like the characters and I don't know. It was all just like this magical kind of developing, just like the images. So I don't usually say this much nice stuff, I have to tell you, but (laughs) I don't know why it just really hit (laughs) off. So the miscarriage parts were very like emotionally and physically grueling in the book, right? To go through, like you feel like you're actually going through this and like the scene on the floor with the bar and when she's kicking, it's just, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Writing those scenes could not have been easy. And I don't know if it, you know, whether or not it was your own experience, your friends or whatever, like having to go through that sort of trauma of being in that person's body and writing about it. Like, tell me about that and how you, how you decided to write it all. I don't know. Just like, tell me about those scenes in particular. Yeah. Uh, so I take a deep breath because yes, they were very hard to write and allowing myself to to truly understand like I'm even rocking in my seat now <laughs> as as I think about it what it to be this main character so in the book uh she she's nameless in the book and to be this main character who is so hard and so soft at the same time and what, how, what that must look like. And so when I write, I do a lot of embodiment. So I might be sitting in this chair or in my bed or wherever else. And I just like, I think of what the scene looks like and I know how I might respond, but I am not the character. I need to filter my response through my character's lens. And because she is more of this kind of harder person, someone who is so just hard on herself and afraid of this this being, this human that she and her husband have created for her to, I don't want to spoil too much, but for her to, you know, behave so lovingly towards it, that felt like something Tiffany might do. Mm. But for her, who again, feels like she messes everything up anyway, and this is yet another mistake I have made. Look at this other thing that I did wrong. I want it as far away from me as possible. I remember that just came to me that she ends up Mm -hmm. picking this piece that that came from her. And even I was like, oh my gosh, I work with authors writing their books too. And I led a workshop last year and I shared about that piece and like on zoom, seeing their faces, they were just like, Oh my gosh. And because, and it shocked me too. Like I I didn't expect that to happen, but she is this person who was like, I need to get away from my mistakes. I need to get away from all of the shame, get this as far away from me as possible while at the same time, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I love you so much. I'm so sorry. And so writing that, I remember, I think I was actually sitting in the same spot at my dining room table 
And I was just thinking of her in the bathroom and how she would be crouching down. Like, even as I'm talking now, I'm making the same movements. And I'm like, okay, she would hold on to this, onto the pipe because this piece is passing through her. And what happens next? And the next thing I just saw was she kicks. And it was so uncomfortable. And that's why I knew it needed to be there because it was so uncomfortable. And it was so very firm. So yeah, those were definitely challenging and a kind of thing where afterwards you write and you're like, okay, I need to take some yeah. space. <laughs> <laughs> I need to go walk in some grass barefoot or like just get some sun on my face or I don't know, watch an episode of 90s Will and Grace just like as a palette. <laughs> like I just need to, I need to come down from this thing. So yeah. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything it might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11, and it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help, and I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. But how did you get, how did you get your start writing? Like, where are you from? And tell me a little, give me some context. Like you're, you're sure. like, um, I am a military brat. Actually, my dad was in Navy. I was born in California. I lived lots of places. And I started writing, I think in middle school, like I would dabble a little bit. And I remember the first story I typed up, this is going to sound so juvenile, but I was 12. The first story I typed up, it was in the nineties. So I even printed it. I don't know 
if you remember like the reams of paper with like the perforated yes. sides yes. in the printer. Dot ma- is it, weren't they called dot matrix or was that something else? Wasn't it dot matrix with those things? And no, anyway, whatever. But I just remember it was that old <laughs> and I printed it up. The name of the story, the name of the story was Camp Juicy Fart. I don't know why. <laughs> like, I have no idea why that is. But um, that was in, yeah, that was in middle school. And I remember I wrote a poem and I thought it was good enough. I remember reading it to my parents and whether they were being honest or not, they were like, oh, wow, that was really wonderful. And from there, I would just kind of dabble a bit. And it was, it wasn't until undergrad in college where I started playing with a novel form or it kind of was birthed out of just journaling. and. I remember thinking, oh, this could actually be a story. I was a creative writing, English major, creative writing concentration, and then wrote that novel, didn't do anything with it. And then I had started, like I said, I started Blue Hour in about 2015. And then I was working in marketing. And in 2017, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And I remember one of my first coherent days in the hospital, I said to my husband. And one of my first thoughts was, I have not published a book yet. And sometimes people hear that and they're like, what, how could that possibly be one of your first thoughts? But that's how, that's all I'd ever wanted. I had a professor in undergrad my senior year when I was graduating or last class, he's passing back our portfolios and he handed mine to me and he said, you gotta be because you don't talk enough. And he said, but you will publish a book one day. And that has never, ever left me. And so about a year after my diagnosis, I quit my job. I applied to grad school for an MFA program. I had already written about two drafts of Blue Hour. And it was go time. Like it just really was go time. And that was my focus for about two years. Um so yeah, but that what that professor said never left. And actually, when the book was required, I found his email. He's no longer teaching, but I found his email and I said, "Hi, you don't re- probably don't remember me. I graduated in two thousand one. Um, you said I would publish a book one day, and I just wanted to tell you that my book was acquired." And he was, he did not remember me, but he was like, I'm so glad I got something right. (laughs) Um, So, and he was just really excited for me. So, yeah. Oh, I love that story so much. I have goosebumps everywhere. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Honestly, I feel like that is one thing that so many writers who actually cross the finish line say is somebody saw something in them and said, wow, you really have talent here. Like you should do, you're going to do something with this or I have, you know, I can't wait to see where you end up or you know, just something, some little thing. And think yeah. about what a throwaway line that is for someone to say. It's so easy to say if you mean it, you know, like, I don't know, it, but the power that, that that could be something in that hour of your life that that became top of mind and you didn't never, you just don't give up. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It It would come around like every two or three years hearing those words would come around and it's like, you still, you haven't done it yet. And it wasn't in a shaming way. And even when I woke up in the hospital, it wasn't in a shaming way at all. It was in a, it's go time. Yeah. We don't, we're not messing around with our life anymore. 
this is what I've always wanted to do. I didn't think it was practical (laughs) to, you know, oh, I write, I'm a novelist. And so I actually, I, I got a master's in business when I was 30. My daughter was like seven months old and I went back for a master's in business and because it was practical and, um, graduated and was like, oh, I don't want to do anything with this. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so, yeah, I was 39 when I got into the MFA program and truly I went in there. I knew what my vision for Blue Hour was and it was just like, we're going, this is going to happen. I had already had an agent interested and like I said, it was just go time. I'm so excited for you. Like I'm just so excited for you. It's so great. (laughs) So now that it's, is it out? It's not out yet, right? Oh, April. April. Oh my gosh. So how do you feel with this around the corner now then? Are you worried? Like, no, it's, it's a little bit surreal or a lot bit surreal, actually. No, I'm not worried at all. Like it's, again, it's a little bit surreal, but also feels like this is what I've, what I'm supposed to be doing. This is what I've been meant, what I was meant to do. Um, I tell a story, one of the first workshops I had in my MFA program, it was my first workshop in like 15, 20 years. And it was nerve wracking, all the things that workshop is when you're getting critiqued. And I remember speaking to the professor afterwards and he said glowing things. And I was walking to the parking garage and I started crying, like I was by myself and I just started crying. And I said out loud, I said, I'm where I'm supposed to be. And it was the first time I had felt that way in a very, very long time. And kind of going back to what we were speaking about earlier with just, you know, you get married and if if you decide to do these things, you get married, you have children, and there's this piece of you or pieces of you that fade to the background. And yes, everything happens in seasons, but sometimes those pieces of you you don't seem to get them back or you forget them. And that's something too, that the main character of Blue Hour, she was so afraid of. I don't want to lose myself in being a wife and in being a mother. I still want to be this person. And it's not a either or, it's an and. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, having this come up now, my children are older too. My children are 15 and 13. And so when the book was acquired, my son, my husband had told my son when he picked him up from school and my son came home and he was like, so does this mean you're famous? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said, I mean, no, I could be maybe someday, but right now, no, but my book will be, when you go to a bookstore, you'll see my book. And he goes, so you're famous. <laughs> <laughs> I said, sure. So I'm famous. Um, and my daughter is an avid, avid reader. And when my when I got the advanced copy of the book, you know, she's looking through it and she's like, "Can I read this?" I said, oh, "I don't know, maybe it might be a little, <laughs> it might be a little much for you at 15." But um, but just seeing them and having them be old enough to fully understand, not fully understand, but understand as much as they can. Oh, look what mom did, and also showing them there is another way success can look so many ways. Success isn't just 
a nine to five. It doesn't have to be to look this one particular way. And um, like, even in the work I do with authors, like I design that, I put that together myself. It's not something I go somewhere else and do. And having my kids being able to witness that, mm-hmm. it's just, it's, it's wonderful. So that's amazing. I had my memoir came out in last July and my kids were saying the same thing. They're like, well, here it is. Like, are, are, are people going to recognize? I was like, no one's going to recognize me. <laughs> Like people are like this, it's only in like two bookstores, but it's fine. You know, <laughs> but uh, I know kids are so funny. I also have 15 year old, a 15 year old twins. So, and then little guys, anyway, but that's really exciting. So are you still writing? Are you working on something new? I am. It is in the very, very, very early stages, but I'm playing with psychopathy. And Ooh. so, and that's been, that's been really fun to <laughs> kind of go into the even darker places that maybe aren't as sad as Blue Hour might take people, but just to go into really the recesses of a darker mind has been, has been fun, actually. And it was interesting, they, this character, the psychopathy didn't come until I started watching um, Killing Eve. I don't know if you've ever watched Killing Eve. (laughs) I haven't, but I know of it. (laughs) And it was a few episodes in where like, I wasn't even really working on it yet. It was just kind of in my head and it clicked that my person could, my character could rank pretty high in the psychopathy scale. Like she's not an assassin or a murderer like in the show, but, and it just was really exciting and like an alluring fun thing to play with. And so psychopathy and sexuality and some other things so but like I said it's very very early so wow what you were saying earlier about how your career doesn't have to look a certain way mm-hmm. we were talking at the table and one of my kids was like well maybe I'll be an author and I was like that's great I was like you know that's not all you can be like that's something you could just do on there are lo- authors have lots of other jobs too <laughs> like, you can you know you could be a te- you could be a teacher. You could you know go teach Japanese. Like he loves Japanese. Anyway, uh, so yeah. I'm like I when we were young, I feel like the narrative was so much like what are you going to be? And right. you know I'm 46. I'm a little bit older than you, but it was always like I'm going to do this. And now like we've all done like a million things, right. you know. And I'm like I'm still trying to decide what my answer is to that. But like I don't know. I don't have a good answer still. It's, I do a lot of things. Like we all do a lot of things. So I don't know. Yeah, and it can change, and that's okay. Yeah, that's why I tend to write to more creative characters. So, like I said, the narrator, she's a photographer, and she's embarking on this documentary. Her husband, Asher, he owns a men's boutique, and yes, he that was awesome. Yep, lines ties. He used to be a line cook, and this was before the bear. Yeah, <laughs> and that's when I love writing those types of more creative people and one showing that yes, people can be successful at these things. And let's please start to do away with this idea of all artists are starving. They don't have to be one and two, like they dabble in these different, different mediums and it's okay to kind of see, Oh, I like this over here. And I like this over here. And now I've created this career where I have elements of these different things that I liked pulled into one and I can do that. And I'm allowed to do that. I don't have to follow this particular 
narrative. And that's one thing that I, I love about both the main character and her husband in Blue Hour. So, yeah. You did yeah. a really nice job too, from his point of view. I mean, I know it was from the unnamed narrator, but you know, people don't often talk about the emotional effect of miscarriage on the, the man in the yeah. relationship. And you really develop that, you know, with him being like, like, this is affecting me too. Like it's, okay. it's not, this didn't just happen to you. Like, yeah, let's do this together. So anyway, well, it was lovely chatting. That's Thank lovely. you for coming on Moms No Time to Read Books. And um, I'm, I'll be rooting for you when your book comes out. It's exciting. Thank you so much. It was nice meeting you. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 